people. Thank you for joining us at Going Off Track. It is Stephen joined with the stalwarts of Going Off Track, Jonah Bear. Yes. That's right, yes. That is me. And Brad Goop, a.k.a. Brad Worrell, the audio producer for all audio. If you're saying something, he's mixing it. <laughs> Oi. You like that? <laughs> Oi. So uh, today's guest is Jenny Owen Youngs. Let's make sure we say it again. Yes, Jenny Owen Youngs. Both of them. Yeah. She, well, she she explains her name and, and how there there are always issues with it. And I know what that's like. My name is Jeffrey Stephen Smith, but I go by Stephen, which my parents decided to do. And by parents, I think mother, because uh, not to go off on our on our fabled children thing, but I learned that when you have kids, if you're the dad, you basically have no say mm. in what your kids are named. Because you see what your wife's going through and you're like, yeah, call them bookshelf. I don't care. You want to <laughs> stop throwing up? If someone says Jeff, do you turn around? No, not in the slightest. I really? I don't even know it. Does anyone call you that? Mm-mm. No, no one. And uh, I've met a number of people that go by my, their middle names, and I often say, Brad? Yeah. No fucking way. <laughs> What's your first name? John. Really? Yeah. John Brad Worrell, JBW. <laughs> wow. Okay, What's your? what was your family's reasoning? Uh, well, my dad's John, and they just, from day one, they called me Brad. Like I think, me too. I think that was the intent, and but I have three siblings. And two of them also are middle namers. Wow, and it was just their hippie idea. So when you book a flight, do you have to book it as John? No, in fact, I've been using Brad for so long that it's completely legal. Like my license, passport, everything. See, that's the issue. They won't let me. Yeah, I can't switch it. I've been kicked off of planes because my ID didn't match up. Yeah, no, I I squashed that really early on. See, he's smart. I did have a. I did have an insane science teacher in seventh grade who would mark my papers with Fs when I would write Brad Worrell instead of John Worrell. Wow. And he was like this crazy – oh, God. I'd, <coughs> this is a whole nother – his name was Mr. Concepcion, and he was from the Philippines. Mr. Fucking. He was such an asshole. <laughs> so he would send my papers back and go – he would make a point of putting it on my desk and going, F. He would write the correct grade, and I was do I would do okay. I would get like B's and stuff, and he would write the grade on it, and then cross it out and write F for Brad World. This is John or John World, and like he would just bust my balls constantly. What wow. grade was this? Seventh grade. So your grades still don't count at that point, right? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like they don't count till like ninth grade. I don't think grades count ever. I don't think I they do either. But I mean, even towards college, it's like it doesn't matter. Like if you yeah. get like. I, like a, in sixth grade, if you get a D on a project, like who cares? Like the phrase "permanent record," I can't wait to teach my kids. Like that's just bullshit. Don't yeah, even worry about but it. this is kind of in keeping with what we're talking about, and it gives you a clue to how insane this dude was. He named his daughter Immaculate Conception. Uh, yes. Wow. Wow. So is that I how, had the least. Like was his wife? A I, I was pretty lucky. He, <laughs> he believed that. <laughs> Wow. Now, I had a science teacher in, in high school, and she was Indian, and her name was Dr. Du, D-E-U, and uh, we had a lot of issues with her. Um, she's very nice, but like, I don't know, just some people are, I've, having taught before, you either can do it or you can't, and the people who can't usually get the job. <laughs> but she had a daughter who went into the school, and, and her daughter had some very pretty Indian name, but she told everybody, uh, call me Deep. As her nickname. And I remember going, your last name is Dude. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to influence you any other way with your nickname, but you, you're really starting a whole mess of issues here. And I think she was kind of cool. I think she just kind of embraced it. She's like, my name is Deep Dew. And I'm like, all right, knock yourself out. Oh, you're so ruthless to that teacher. Actually, uh, that was the one time in college, or college, in high school, where I legitimately... Grad school. I was the, I was the, that was the one time studying my doctorate that I, le- I legitimately cheated on a test because there was no possible way I was going to get out of my junior year. Some, somebody handed me the, the, the chemistry final. And so I went and I got all the dudes in my class who had straight A's and I went, come over to my house, we'll hang out and we'll go through the test. And they were like, you have the test? I'm like, yeah, I have the test. So we sat and they went through and all I did was memorize all the answers because it's all Scantron. Remember, you had to color in the, the little oh, yeah. bulbs. So I memorized all the answers. So all the calculations I did was, all right, what grade can I, 
what percentage can I miss so that right. she won't right. assume that I've <laughs> cheated? Because if I get an A, it's all over because I failed everything up to this point. So I have to show that I tried. So the whole time I'm sitting there like, okay, if I miss 10, what is that? So does that mean a C or a D? If I get a D, that's just not going to look good. So I got to get a C. But how do I get a low C? It took me like two hours to figure that out and then turn the so test. You, thought that if, something. you think that if you got a regular C, that would tip her off that something was up? Yeah, yeah, completely. See, I, I, thought, you were, I thought you were so brilliant. I thought you were creating an alibi by bringing all the A student guys to your house. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to show them the test. I thought you were going to bring them over and study with them so that you could later say, but I did so well on this test because I studied with like so-and-so and so-and-so. That's a little too ambitious. <laughs> no way. If I get more people complicit, that's more people. Because, you know, this is high school. No one's going to say shit. Mm-hmm. I have the test. You have the test? <laughs> now you're in. Come over. We have a lot of M&Ms. You know, it must be so much harder to cheat now. I feel like, well, because I, fe- I feel like people aren't. I'm, yeah, but I feel like p- teachers are smarter now. Like they're not just going to give like the same tests they've gives every year. The kids keep and stuff. Like I feel like they must change stuff up. It's so much easier to find plagiarism now. Yeah, like it's got to be way harder to cheat. But I feel it's 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 easier because you can go online and go like, ah, crap, I need a term paper on the Renaissance uh, website. Website, right, right. forty bucks. Screw it. And if you're a teacher, how are you going to scour the internet? To know that that was actually ripped off. Well, teachers also must be like security guards now. Like, you have to make sure people are on their phones, people aren't, like, during tests. So, like, yeah. it must be, like, before, it's like, how, what are you going to do? I would never be a dick and take someone's phone because they were just, people were just starting to have cell phones when I taught. But I would take the battery. I felt that was not, I felt <laughs> like if I take the battery, then I'm not being an asshole. I'll give you the battery back when you leave. You don't need it. And that meant leave class. Like, I'm not going to hold it all day. It's not my job or anything, but I'm not. Or if, you, if you're listening to, you know, at those days, your disc man. I just take the batteries out. Those, right. I, those I'd keep. I could use those. Yeah. See, I was smart enough <clears throat> at that age. I would have had an extra battery in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I still use a disc man once in a while. You have to with all the watermarks. Yeah, because I get watermark CDs. But I was on the train like last year. I've told a story before, but yeah, I had my disc man in my pocket. Did was, you? Where'd you get that disc man? <laughs> I, I cannot say where I got this disc man. It's, it's very nice though, made by Bose. And uh, yeah, some girl like gave me this look, like uh, you look like you haven't bought any technology in ten years, and it made me feel really self conscious. And I was like, dude, like this, this is my job, and like I, this is the only way I can listen to this, and like. Why am I justifying this to someone I don't know who hasn't even said anything to me? <laughs> but this, the moral is I still use it, and it, it's, um, yeah, they're actually pretty it good. It does the, come in handy. People still sell the damn thing. Yeah, the non-skip the now, man. Never. And anyway. T- and today's, today's <laughs> guest, Jenny Owen Youngs, brought us her CD. Yes, she did. She didn't give one to Brad. Sorry. It's okay. I'll just listen to it on Jonah's <laughs> CD, man. <laughs> It's going on Um, I'm just gonna say we're here with Jenny Owens Young. Oh, hey. (laughs) Out of the gate. Yes. Uh, common misconception. My name is actually Jenny Owen Youngs. Jenny Owen Youngs. I was gonna ask about that. It's hard to remember. It's counterintuitive, I guess. Um, and people really don't like it, but that's what it is legally. You can call me, you know, whatever you like. No, I want to call you by your right name. Thank you. Because um, I saw it in, um, <clears throat> and I'd like <laughs> to say, my pre- and post-interview research. Because I find out a lot during the course of hanging out with someone that I want to then learn about. So I go on the interwebs. But beforehand, I was like, "There's this search is really hard. Because there's different <laughs> pluralities depending on how I type it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Sorry. I just knew there was an Sorry. S somewhere. But this is the first time we've hung out in person, which is weird because I feel like we're best friends. Sort I of. really feel that way, too. Explain. Um, we just started talking yesterday. And we, we have, like, a lot of mutual friends. Like the um, City guys. Mm-hmm. And, like, the fictional characters of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And somehow we started talking about Battlestar Galactica and Firefly and a bunch of stuff that will really interest you, Stephen. <sighs> so we we got to have a blanket rule about that because if we start, it, that's going to be the whole show. Okay. Okay. I'm okay with that being the whole I'm show. I'm fine with it as well. <laughs> that's the problem. I first <clears throat> heard about you, uh, Miss uh, Owen Youngs, um, <laughs> that, uh, excuse me, Ms. Um, oh, thank you. That's very yes, progressive. Yes. Uh, well, I, you know, it's, it's the grammatical equivalent of 
sir. I have no freaking idea. Um, Tony Thaxton, <laughs> didn't he? Did he tour with you? Did he play drums um, for you? Did he? Blanket statement. Fuck that guy. Yeah, right? seriously. Yeah, right? someone what had to dick. say it. The worst. He yeah. is such a jerk. He's. Yeah, your arm oh. broke. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get over it and play some drums, right? It's so funny that you say that because I felt like we made him tell that story and he's like, oh, I don't want to tell this again. So it's cool that we make fun of him for doing it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't think that story would make me almost vomit again. Maybe that's why mm. I have to hear it so many times. I guess I haven't heard like the totally detail. You know what? You should ask. Maybe, maybe I will. All right, so let's let's get let's get started. How do we know you? Shouldn't I be asking you that? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. No, um, no. Mo- Tony Thaxton. I remember him tweeting uh, excessively about you and your shows and things. That guy. Yeah. He. Well, um, I have known Justin from Motion City mm-hmm. for a while, and um, through him met the rest of the band. And um, Tony, uh, oh, let's see. They took me on tour in the UK, and uh, their former, their tour manager at the time, Brian Southall, um, and Tony decided that they were going to accompany me, and uh, that was very scary. Uh, but they very graciously learned all of my dumb songs and played all of them with me every night. And then, you know, Tony played a full, proper thrash set afterwards um and so that's how we started playing together and we've played together a little bit uh since then and that is what i can tell you I think he hits good. so hard he hits really hard yeah quite a bit uh you are from uh montclair new jersey okay another lie upon the internet please please one time Spound. when mm. like i was getting really active uh musically and like putting a lot of things about myself on the internet and creating Facebook profiles and whatever. Um, I decided that it would be awesome to say that I was from Montclair, where I was living at the time, instead of where I was actually from, which is uh, a tiny little uh, village in northern, even more northern and western New Jersey, um, like all the way up in the top most part of the state where like Pennsylvania and New York and New Jersey all come together in like a weird uh, triangle thing. And uh, yeah, it's uh, very beautiful and farmy there. Um, But also there are, you know, there are a few like Confederate flags being flown hither and thither. And isn't, uh, that, isn't that every like little redneck area all over the country? Like you can yes. Go to, yeah, I think it's all <laughs> over the fact. But so. I feel like it's at the time I was like, I would like to say that I am from this lovely, adorable, liberal, comfortable uh, suburb of New York, basically, I guess, it's instead of the truth. As balls. Um, I don't know how this happened, but I lived in an apartment that was, I guess there are sort of two parts of Montclair. There's like the really rich part, and then there's the really not rich part, and I kind of live like on top of the line. So, well, our other our other host Mike, who who hasn't been for a while, as he's now working for NBC, <laughs> uh, he lives in Montclair. Oh, word! So had he been here, he would have been able to just go nuts on the five oh guys gosh. that was there, but now isn't. What? Uh, and the School of Rock that's right down the street. Oh yeah, and the whole the whole endeavor. I've got some good friends in Montclair as well. It's a cute. It's a cute little hamlet, but it is it is it is not the the lovely little village that you grew up in and no, want God to say no. you're from. Okay. Um, and also, I really didn't want people to like figure out where I went to high school and then like look up my yearbook photos. Oh uh, yeah, you know that's something I'd prefer remain buried for all time. That's all right. Um, any other misconceptions you want to clear up out of the gate? Before we screw up the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. you guys, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. no, I'm wait. Not, oh, I'm fuck. In, no, no, Did no. Did that just... Oh, God. Oh, please. Uh, actually, everything that you keep saying to me is oh, wrong. God, we have the thickest skins of anybody I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, is there anything? No, it's mostly it's my name. Yeah. My name and Montclair are the two things that are uh, spread far and wide, but incorrect. So Jenny Owen Young's <laughs> Fuck You, Montclair. Fuck you, Montclair. The, I feel like an important thing to know with the name thing, because like it's very easy to get confused, Owen is actually my middle name. So when you think about it as like a middle name, then it stands to reason that there shouldn't be an S on it. But everybody thinks it's like a second surname or something. Well, I feel like Young is such a common name, but Young's isn't, Yeah, too. well, you know, Ellis Island, what the fuck. Right? 
Trust me. So. My last name is Smith. Pretty sure it wasn't when they came over from <laughs> Hungary. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, wow. Now, have you always gone by the, the full name, Jenny Owen? Um, I guess musically, yes. Musically, yes. And when did the musically part begin? Mm, properly like in a grown-up fashion uh i put out my first like what i would consider my first real record uh in 2005 which i made where i recorded myself with uh or i didn't record i'm sorry god i feel like i'm doing a really bad job right now that's okay we're completely judging you I know it's you're doing great there are zero rules for this it's like I know all the answers to these questions and still eh. Um, when someone jumps out of the gate and says your name incorrectly no 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 I'm telling you I'm telling you because it puts your brain (laughs) you wait for an hour first yeah yeah, I want you yeah for those of you playing the home (laughs) game we had a bit of a scheduling snafu and Jenny being the congenial nice person she is went oh no I'll hang out proceeded to hang out for about an hour and a half you guys, I like read, I checked my email, I looked at the Twitter. I had a really, really fulfilling hour and a half. I love Everything the is beautiful. I'm a big fan of the Twitter. Right. So many people, so many words. I find it's just I more news, you know, like for the I mm. because of uh the Hurricane Sandy, I learned that we had a new president president by Twitter and I was like, This is really technologically awesome. We had zero power in the house, but we had the phones were establishing connections with nearby towers, so I was like, well, right on. I just oh use God. it for puns, pretty much. <laughs> just puns. Yeah, like no an- news, just puns. Anti-Flag put out this bacon-shaped picture disc. Oh, yeah, I yeah. saw that. Did you that. see that? And I tweeted at Justin and Chris, uh, is it going to have the song Fry for Your Government? And no response. Nice. But that's the kind of thing I like doing it for. Sometimes you get a response. So you basically treat Twitter like the English language. Yes, Exactly. Pun Master J. All right, so you're up in this teeny tiny town with Confederate flags in Jersey. And how did you get involved in music? Um, well, I started uh, writing songs and playing in bands when I was in junior high and high school and um, ended up going to SUNY Purchase, right which on. is up in Westchester, mm-hmm. and studying like sort of pop songwriting there. And, um, you know, I made a lot of uh, musical friends and learned a lot from all of them. Not maybe as much from school but i don't know if that was school's fault or my fault but anyway um somebody else in the program or in the the parallel program the production program um named dan romer and i became close and then we made our our first record together that i self-released and then that got picked up by network and then we made another record that came out on network and then we made another record that i just self-released uh at the beginning of this year the end. Right on. Ta-da! See? You're doing glorious. <sighs> okay. Um, SUNY, wow. I know uh, people... Is that the one? Wait, there's SUNY, SUNY Purchase? Is SUNY that... Potsdam. Wow. My band SUNY. used to play at SUNY Potsdam. Wow. Yeah. Because you get very confused. There's so many of so them. So many you, SUNYs. You don't know which one. So uh, a friend of mine went to the one that had the, the big modern dance program. I'm not sure. Oh, I think that's Purchase. Oh, uh, that must be Purchase. That was Purchase, it's, yes. There's so much dance happening all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quite a bit. So that's not where you were. You were at a school that did you know that this school would have a pop songwriting program? Oh, yes. I went specifically there for specifically that. Um, In fact, it's the only school I applied to. Would you say that that was the music that you was that your wheelhouse growing up? You you like pop songs or (laughs) where did you fall? Um, Well, I grew up like, you know, the the music that was happening in my house as a kid um, was all like oldies radio and the Beatles. Um, and then when I got into uh, high school, then, you know, like the grunge thing was happening. So like Nirvana was like a big cornerstone and um, Green Day and uh, the Cranberries. Hey. And, uh, you know, and then I started to get more into like Elliot Smith and Slater Kinney and uh, stuff that was like, at least for where I was living, kind of like off the beaten path. Um, thank you for listening. I love Slater Kenny. I remember the first time I heard them was this soundtrack for this movie called All Over Me. Did you hear about this flick? One of those movies where you're like, ah, movie's okay. Soundtrack is amazing. You know, it's like Helium and Hum and Slater Kenny, and it was this song called I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know that tune? Hell yeah. It's 
great, great song. And then, and then uh, I think I saw them open for the Flaming Lips and Wilco <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. I met two members of Slater Kinney last night and was so uncomfortably quiet and weird. <laughs> like I could feel myself being weird. And I wanted to say something about like the woods and Dave Fridman or like I met Jana. I want to say something about Quasi. Like I was like, show like you know, like you're not just some dumb guy. And I was like, just like smiling and staring. <laughs> and then like that was it. That was my moment. There's never anything you can do in those moments. That's correct. No, I feel like screwed up all of them. Yeah, I've been life. with Steven on some, and it's like yeah. it's always better <laughs> just to be like, should I do this? Like it's always better just to be like, no, it's better not to do it. Yeah, when in doubt, don't book them on a TV show that you are hosting so you can't nerd out and say, like, <laughs> oh, you just had a kid, right? Where did that come from? How would I know? <laughs> That's not awkward. <laughs> now I make him feel like I'm a stalker against, uh, ridiculous. So what I think is interesting about, oh, wait, are you going to say something? No, no. Okay. Um, what I think is interesting about you is we just had on uh, Laura Stevenson. Oh, word. Uh, who's awesome. And uh, Yes. And we were talking about how she tours with a lot of punk bands but isn't kind of is part of that world but musically isn't as much and i just saw you with brendan kelly and dave and brian fallon which is like a pretty punk show yes um and i felt like you fit in perfect and obviously it was acoustic you did the revival what? tour correct uh and yeah, yeah also the, the revival, revival tour. tour i mean how did you kind of end up in this world and what what's that kind of like for you well um back in i guess it was in 2009 um uh there was uh i don't know how exactly it happened but chuck's agent and my agent know each other whoever was booking chuck at the time and uh i got submitted for the revival tour and chuck being the amazing incredible person he is probably listens to like every submission and is like well this one you know and (laughs) uh does does that thing because he like is because he just cares so much about music and is generally awesome and i don't have to keep saying that chuck is great because everybody knows that chuck is great but we're going to do a chuck reagan clip show we have so many people talking about how awesome (laughs) chuck reagan is on this podcast it's going to be amazing that is awesome this is my wallpaper on my phone see that's exactly what i'm talking about chuck (laughs) love it oh he's just so incredible so for whatever reason i got submitted and uh i got accepted uh to be on like i guess it was like eight shows and i was on with chuck with jim ward with dave haas and with tim barry oh my god um so i did that it was real quick and it was like one of the best tours i've ever been on it was like so magical it was my introduction to the like being sort of a part of this other world this like parallel universe where like i was very intimidated and very scared at the beginning of that tour but like from the first show like it was immediately apparent that like the people who make who like were making this music and the people who were coming to see this music were like everybody is just like this incredible community and like they're so supportive and like from like the second that i would like walk on stage people were just like yeah get it and it was so (laughs) awesome okay so it was incredible and um and after that, um, Tim took me out on a couple of tours. And were you a fan of Avail growing up? No, I am not. I, historically, I'm just like not as well versed in this stuff. As, I mean, his solo records are incredible too. Oh my god! You no, know, in Manchester, that's one of them. Tim, yes, Tim, that oh is. yeah, that's one. I can't remember the other one. He, ugh, ugh, he's so incredible and like. Just like Chuck is just like this amazing. He just has like this heart. Oh God, I can't even. He's a good. He's a good Richmond kid. But I also can't <laughs> even like being in that world. I can't imagine touring with guys who've been doing it for so long. I mean, like because I was seeing those bands in like high school. Yeah, yeah. So do, I mean, do you feel like you learned a lot kind of from being on the road with people like that? I think that the the sorts of things that I tend to learn from the people that I've gotten to work with in this world. Um, tend to have a lot more to do with like lesson they're like lessons about remembering like why you're doing it in the first place and i guess that probably does have something to do with how you know that chuck's track record tim's track record like they're they've been doing this for a long time and they're still doing it and there has to be a reason for that and i think if they weren't in touch with why they care about making music that uh they would probably wouldn't still be doing it um so 
watch like getting to to hang out with those guys and see them play every night and and see the way that they connect with their audiences is just really it's inspiring and educational and yeah and the conversations with those dudes i feel like different are different from like anything because if you tell chuck a problem would be like you're afraid of dying or something like and you're like i am afraid of dying like how did you know that like how did you get this from this weird story i told like yeah yeah he's like a he's like a psychic mountain man just waiting i feel like he's like the character in a short story who like you meet in a pub and they have like a cloak they're a mysterious stranger drinking like a mysterious hot drink I'm and sorry, they like, like strider and lord of the rings it, yeah the ring. essentially that's the image Possibly. that i'm turns out to be the actual king yeah well I, I wanted to see how long it would take for something like this to come up it's happened. <laughs> it's Chuck Reagan is is the king of of all things, and yes. I, yeah, I felt the same way the first time I met him. I was kind of like, it was one of those like, "Hi, I'm Chuck," and all of a sudden, do do do. A couple seconds later, oh oh crap! That's hi hi <laughs> hi. Great. Now I'm that guy. Well, I've always been that guy. So I want to rewind for a second. So you recorded your first collection while in college? Um, I guess we technically started at the end of my senior year, but the recording went on forever what's your degree in studio composition that's awesome uh, <laughs> here at rubber track studio in Williamsburg. i know amazing cool joint that we have the run of for some weird reason <laughs> yeah this place is really special and totally weird i mean it's not weird in itself it's just weird that it's here yeah yeah it's hard you would never know it was here no for sure it's such a, a rad little spot. So coming from that background, you know, do you, have you always been, did you find yourself into more of the songwriting craft or do you like the production part? Uh, I would say that, um, that I've always been a more of a writer than an arranger or producer. Um, and arrangement is something that, uh, that I've always leaned on, on Dan, the, who's produced all my records for, he's an incredible arranger. And, uh, Something that I'm just now sort of starting to to dig into a little bit, but when you say arrange, forgive my ignorance. Does that oh mean no, this goes. Put this here. Put this chorus here. That far into uh, arranging, or not, let's, let's throw some strings it, on. Not yeah, yeah yeah not not so much uh, with form, but arrangement of actual you know deciding on the instrumentation, deciding you know what instruments that are in play should be playing what and not and guitar. Kind of How about piano? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And also, I mean, Dan, like, does, writes incredible string arrangements and, and um, you know, he, he's the kind of guy who, like, hears a song a couple of times and then, like, pretty much has a very clear idea of how he wants it to sound by the end of the recording process. Oh, wow. So, that's a thing. <laughs> that is crazy. It's like if you're a director. It's like you read a play and you have a picture. Oh, this is what it should look like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, I mean, so pop music now, I'm just curious, this is a total tangent, but this is something I was thinking about. Do you feel like people write their own stuff less now than ever? Like, like Michael Jackson, like, did he write his own songs? Because mm-hmm. I feel like he did, because I thought people used to, and now I feel like everyone has, like, a team and everything's, like, is that, like, a trend, do you think, in music, where people just hire teams of writers as opposed to writing their own stuff? If you're Rihanna, you have a team and you take it and make it yours. That's, like, her... That's her but all that kid. she's doing is, is singing the voice in the words someone's telling her. Yeah, right? it's like Sinatra. He didn't write a damn thing. You know what I mean? Oh my god! But but there's no <laughs> there's no other Sinatra. I mean, like no like anybody could have, I guess, been sort of that person. But but no, nobody else. Yeah, could but then have you had him. someone like Bobby Darin who did the same thing and who wrote his tunes. You know what I mean? Who was in that crooner vein? Who um. You know, he wrote Under the Sea, and then he wrote Splish Splash, I'm Taking a Bath on yes. a dare. You know what I mean? Nice. Someone said, hey, rhyme this. He was like, all right, screw you. And he did. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it goes, there is that 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 pop. So then, and then there are people like, um, we had him on the podcast, our friend Jared Cotter, who is a pop songwriter. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And he writes songs for people and sends them to someone. So he'll be like, this sounds, in my head, this sounds like Usher. I'll send this to Usher. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you write a song, do you always, I mean, is it you you hear in your head singing? Uh, or is it Usher? Well. Or is it Usher, Jenny? I do hear Usher in my head a lot, but not during the songwriting process. Just as a sort of Jiminy Cricket kind of thing. 
Um, Just let it burn, Jenny. Let it burn. God. So your first record came out while you were in college. <laughs> uh, then you graduated, and then where to from there? Um, Straight to Brooklyn? Uh, no, I lived in, in Montclair for, gosh, two or two years maybe? And then I moved into Brooklyn. Um, and that... And were you considering yourself, were you like professional musician, songwriter then? Were you doing other gigs as well? Did you tour? How did that happen? I, let's see. Uh, the record came out and uh, like I released it myself and then Network ended up picking it up for me and re-releasing it. And from the time that I put it out till the time that they put it out, I was kind of home-based and uh, I was working at a record label in New Jersey. And I continued working there until the middle of 2008. Um, and I would, they were really supportive and I was, you know, leaving for a month to six weeks at a time to go on tour and, uh, would just sort of like check in from the road and, and, uh, work when I was home kind of thing. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, as, as we prepared to start working on the next record, it was sort of time to, um, stop doing that and focus everything in one direction. And when you toured, was it just you? Was it a full band? Is it a couple of folks? Um, it varies and has it has varied from tour to tour. I've done a lot of solo stuff, but I've also done a lot of band stuff. Um, you know, trio, quartet, or on a rare occasion, five-piece thing. And, what do you like? Do you have a preference? Um, I think that you can sort of accomplish things that you can't accomplish in both settings. Uh Mm, wait, that was a poorly formed sentence. I understood it. Word. I understood it too. Well, all right. Then I'll leave it live. But basically, <laughs> they both have uh, really cool things about them, and they both have, you know, things that you can't really do within their respective context. You find confines. drawbacks to having too many musicians on stage? Um, there's definitely such a thing as too many musicians. Um, so how'd you do Revival? Revival? Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole other thing. What is that, like nine people on stage? It's like you have that's the lot, the right? bassist and the, the fiddler, and then there's usually like five songwriters on a night, and then like maybe the last time I was on in New York earlier this year, there were like three guests maybe, so nine. There you go. And they're oh. all on stage, and you have to teach them all one of your or a couple of your songs. And you had two shows in the same night. There, oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we finished our like my album re- release tour. We played our like homecoming show at Mercury Lounge, and then I packed up and then drove over to Bowery and did the revival tour show. The late one, not the early one. Okay, yeah, I only went to the late one, I guess. Now, are you a big sci-fi fan? Well, you know, my brother was really into, like, Dungeons and & Dragons uh, and that kind of business. So, and, like, uh, Star Trek and all that stuff. So I, I kind of, he's a few years older than me, and so I got into things through him. And, gosh, I wish that I knew exactly what I was talking about, but I feel like, I don't know if it was a Dungeons & Dragons-specific thing, but, like, there was, and I'm sure still is, like, some series of novels that are big and they're all like dragons this, dragons that. Uh, crap. Is it the Dragon Riders of Pern? Anne McCaffrey? Yes, but no. No? Okay. Um, Is it the TSR uh, Forgotten Realms series? Yes, Forgotten Realms. So many Forgotten <laughs> I knew Realms that you were books. Know this. Got it in two. <laughs> as soon as you said dragons, I was like, oh, he's got this. <laughs> yeah, so I read a lot of those uh, growing up. And... Sorry, is my nerd sense tingling? <laughs> Visible? I wish I was a kid now because I feel like there's so much more, you know, like there's so many more comic book movies now happening and uh, technology finally caught up and realized that nerds actually knew something you know yes which is exciting because now we have you know the hobbit (laughs) yeah or whatever no it's all right trust me i don't know any so i don't know anything about the hobbit but i and uh i didn't have cable for a while so i didn't know anything so i just found out about it i heard people talking but then i saw the posters and i was like it's the old. It's a dude from the British Office. Is yes. the Hobbit? Oh I, yeah. I haven't seen like that Tim guy. I haven't seen him in like since that show. Dude, he's also Watson in the PBS, well BBC Sherlock Holmes series. Oh really? Which is just a modern retelling, which is super popular and really really good. 
And then he played um, Arthur Dent in the horrible, but Sam Rockwell was in it, so not so bad. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I movie. didn't see that. Either. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Terrible flick. Terrible flick. Zoe Deschanel was in it. Really? So we can just do a launching point from there onto how much we may or may not like it. Wait, there yeah. was a thing moments ago. The Hobbit. Oh my God! While I was out there waiting very patiently. Sorry. And no. I'm so glad I was there because if I wasn't, I wouldn't have read this thing that I read, which was an interview with Peter Jackson and Damian Eccles of the West Memphis Three. Do you yes. guys know about yes. that case and yes. stuff? Yes, he, he paid for their legal team. Exactly. And there's a documentary coming out that I think Peter Jackson co-produced mm-hmm. uh, on Christmas Day uh, that is like Damian Eccles' first like actual talent, like the, the first piece of media about the case that he has had like any sort of... Um, personal involvement yeah. overseeing, you know, his actual input, la, la, la. Oh, it's very exciting. I know. Isn't that crazy that when that came out, like, wait a minute, Peter Jackson paid for his legal team this whole time? Like, pretty awesome. who knew? Pretty amazing. Dude from New Zealand helping out this poor kid who was, you know, sentenced to a crime he didn't commit. Yeah. Which in a television adventure series would have a much better ending. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a little anticlimactic. But it- Say you're guilty, even though we know you're not. Whatever to get me out of this stupid state. <laughs> what was even the, um, like, what was the reason that they couldn't just. It's called an Alfred plea. Go or on. Or Alfred, if you work with Bruce Wayne. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> it basically says um, you're saying you're guilty to get out of prison even though you don't believe it. So you're saying I'm, I will plead guilty even though I know I am innocent. And the reason they did it is um, one of the other guys, I apologize for not being going to remember their names, he didn't want to take it. But Damien being in solitary and on death row was just getting sicker and sicker and his health was declining. Yeah, yeah. He said, I'll, I'll do it to get you out. And then I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to clear my name, you know. Um, so that's why they took it. So Jesus. He could, you know, get out. And he tells stories of not even being, of learning how to walk again because he always had to walk in chains. The sad thing about it is this is just one in any number of tales yeah, you know, yeah. sitting in the, in, the, in the penal system right now. It's really awful. Do you find this is where you find inspiration for songs, Jenny? You know, actually, thanks for asking. Um, my, fir- my first two records like were all about me and like my uh, poor decision-making skills and drinking and stuff. Uh, and- about your 20s, fair enough. Exactly. And then when I started making my most recent record, uh, you know, I'm like a lot happier and better adjusted and stuff. So I had to like kind of dig a little deeper and I ended up like looking in some places, not specifically that, but like one song on the record is about uh, the bell jar and another song uh, is sung from the point of view of... um, during the Jonestown massacre, there were like a handful of people who survived. Like one elderly person, like didn't have their hearing aid turned on, so they didn't hear the call to like I had go drink the no Kool-Aid. idea that happened. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And like a couple other people like escaped, and like some some people like I think somebody was asleep, and they just anyway. There was this one five year old kid, yes, who um like slipped a guard and like just like ran and hid in the woods. And um, so the song is is from his perspective, like coming back out of the woods to see like everybody he's ever known dead everywhere. So yeah, Yikes. that's what I'm into. <laughs> Whatever perfectly gets you to that song, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, no. How are you guys? <laughs> I haven't written any songs about Jonestown yet. Yet. Yet is right. I've written a song period. I find people able to create art and through music astounding, which is why I'm very comfortable being a professional fan. You know? <laughs> I mean, Jonah's in a band, and the way they can sit and write songs just We play in open mind. D tuning, so writing a song is like... <laughs> oh, yeah. But S- still. Sweet bar. Yes. Right? Yeah. But it sounds good. Yeah. It, it, it is phenomenal. So that... Do you find that you have to have you know the germ of an idea for a lyric first or do you have tunes you hum in your head do you have that experience of this sounds familiar wait that's me (laughs) um yeah well i mean i feel like 
there are so many different ways, at least for me, that it can go. Like sometimes I get like a little bit of a melody that just kind of rolls around in my head like a piece of sand in an oyster. And I'm sorry for just making that analogy. That That's was... how pearls are formed, by constant irritation, Jenny. Yeah, well, there's definitely constant irritation. I don't know how many pearls actually happen, but the irritation is present. And, uh, you know, so sometimes I'll have like a phrase. Sometimes I'll have like a whole story that I want to tell. Uh, those are like the sort of the easiest ones. Um and then sometimes I'll just be like in horrible, horrible emotional pain or distress, which doesn't happen very often anymore. But that's when the songs just like you're over fly 30 out. Now, right? Yes. Don't tell anyone <laughs> except the people who listen to this podcast. Don't worry, the dozen people who listen to it will not spread the word. <laughs> and I feel like every time I see you preface a lot of songs, we're like, "This is a song about doing it." Yeah, I that ha- that started happening. I guess that started happening when I was on I was on tour with uh, Frank Turner in September, and I like I made the set list that I wanted to like play and get used to for like the tour, and then a couple nights in, I was just like, "Wow, if I was a person who wasn't me listening to these all these songs in a row for the first time, I would be like, what is this girl's problem? Like, keep it in your pants." But <laughs> I guess like I guess. Um, I guess it's just like, uh, you know, easier to like throw things out in a song that maybe aren't even necessarily true. I don't know how I've, how I've come to cultivate this image of myself as queen slut because it's inaccurate. And, uh, but the, the song, here's the deal. The songs that are the sluttiest are the loud, fast songs. So those are the ones you want to play when you're on tour with Frank Turner. So I ended up like just kind of playing one corner of my catalog and it was the slutty one i don't know if you should call them yeah i didn't really interpret it as slutty at all oh thank god can't there be the term empowering you guys i I love where your heads are at so this is my uh this is my predicament as a a self-possessed woman in uh 2012 uh who has a lot of internal issues you came to the right place nice there's like i feel like these songs are awesome and i feel like or maybe not awesome but like i feel good about them and i feel like i'm i'm telling stories that are important to me and like that they're not um you know that whatever like obviously sex is not especially in 2012 come on sex is not a thing that uh that makes you less of a woman or whatever uh and it's something that i generally feel very just fine about um but I guess, I guess you know, um, I kind of try to beat people to the punch. My fear is that I will be perceived in a certain way. So then I just like make a joke about it before anybody else can. Wait. I'm really learning a lot about myself. Good. Right now. It's a continual journey. This is really great, you guys. <laughs> anyway, I don't think I'm a slut. I don't think my songs are slutty. I'm sorry I brought up colonics. I'm gonna be regretting that for no, don't even days worry to come. About it. But I do think that there is. I mean, like. To some level, still like a double standard. Oh, God, yes. You know, so... It's the dumbest thing ever. I've never understood that. One of my uh, dear friends, also a singer-songwriter, uh, hopefully he'll get his stuff out again, his name Benji Faree. He's the first guy I ever heard who would call other dudes sluts. <laughs> and I was like, what, what does that mean? You know, and it just, you know, it didn't occur to me how sexist a term it was. Mm-hmm. But that... You know, it, it, again, it's that awful double standard. It's like, oh, the stud is banged, blah, blah, blah. Oh, she has two. What a whore. Like, what? No, no. And now, as a father of two girls, you know, um, I find my brain is forcibly and thankfully thinking in ways that I never thought before um, about, you know, women and their issues. And it's not a left turn for me because I remember in college someone saying, I was like, what does feminism mean? And then they said to me, what do you think the women should get paid the same as a man? I went, they don't. <laughs> Proving that <laughs> I was still confused and still am. I just don't. I don't see how that's an issue. I don't. I never. I never got it. But the the whole slut thing. I. I, I are we past that? Were we past that fifty years ago? Were we past that ten years ago? You know. In theory, yes. Or in theory, we should be. But like. For me, as somebody who's 31, and, uh, you know, I've always had, like, a very healthy attitude about being female, and, like, I've never had a problem, you know, feeling strong or whatever, Uh, but, like, 
this this stuff that exists, this like sort of uh, ingrained sexism, like gets into my psyche, you know, like is is exists in my brain and like the way I perceive things. And like it's something that even though I don't believe it, it has somehow become a part of my consciousness and has to be like actively worked against. It's pretty weird. Well, you th- it sounds like you're worried about the perception as an artist as well. You know, if you're, if you're going to say this song is about such and such to hopefully beat you to the punch of thinking it really is about such and such. It's <laughs> like, why would you have to justify that? Why can't you just play the tune? <sighs> Great question. Why can't I just play the tune? Well, I mean, that is the goal to just play the tune, you know. Um, and I'm a big fan of onstage banter, by the by. I'm, I'm, I love it. I'm think, with you. I think you're a good banterer as well. Hey, thanks. I'm not trying to just lay down compliments, but... Hey, thanks. You're welcome. I think that Jonah can at least uh, have my back in that I don't just talk about... No, I wasn't saying that <laughs> at all. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, no, I... Sorry. No, it's... Oh, God. Everything's a mess. How did we get here? <laughs> Years ago, I saw the Mr. T Experience. I love this band. Huge fan. And uh, Dr. Frank, he began every song by saying this is a song about a girl. There you which, go. And then open-end it to however the song ends up being, you know, uh, whatever it's about, whatever the context is. I just defined about. Uh, and then halfway through the set, the bass player came up and said, I don't want to get political. I know there's a lot in everybody's mind. But this next song is about a girl. <laughs> Yeah. It was wonderful. It was, just, it was just like, bam, like one, two punch out of the park. Really well done. <laughs> it's just like, isn't every song really about a girl? Yeah, for sure. I feel like in some, if you connect it to the next thing, like eventually it kind of all leads to the same place. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's like a biological thing that's ingrained in everyone. Do you find that relationships were what, you know, were the wellspring for your songs for a long time? Yeah, totally. Oh, God. Were they, were, what a were, mess. Were they, well, well, you know, you got a long way to go. Were, would you say they were, uh, most of the songs came out of, I don't want to say failed, because, you know, it's all a process. But, um, you know, ones that didn't I'll say work. failed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> were they out of failed relationships? Do you have songs about successful ones? Or does that worry you? Um, I have songs about successful relationships now, but I didn't until, you know, now-ish. Right. Um, so, but they're the harder ones to write. You know, they're way harder to write because uh, it's it's easy to be convincing when you like describe pain or discomfort. But when you try to describe, get across a sensation of like happiness, you can come across as like really chirpy or um, inauthentic. Uh, so those are concerns. Also, it's just it's just hard to like say nice things, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are lovely and handsome and wonderful hosts. Uh, so like those are things that are easy to say. Well. No, no. <laughs> uh, but like to to accurately and like satisfyingly uh, describe a positive thing. Um, about a relationship it's it's just at least for i mean people do it all the time people write happy songs all the time and do so well but it's not um my natural state or my natural direction so it takes extra work and consideration do you, you find know, i'm sorry oh you know what i did the, this reminded me of something i did the other night i was out with nick my old roommate yes. took our photos and a couple of girls and they do this thing, have like a compliment circle where you have to give a compliment to the person next to you and go in circles. How did Nick react to that? Nick was great at it. Uh, but it he was like... a walking hard on At first they like suggested <laughs> it and I was like, ugh. Like, uh, and like one of the guys at, at our table was like the bartender and I wanted to be like, well, you're really good at ignoring me at the bar because I stood there for five minutes. There's like no one here. Uh, but <laughs> Not a compliment, <laughs> that, Jonah. That was, that was my first instinct. But then I was like, no, I'm going to like actually like go in and like... I said something nice, and then someone said, and it was like, actually, it was really nice. But it was like, that was my first instinct was like, okay, say something super cynical, like, uh, you know, like make fun of someone. And uh, 
I feel like that is like a natural instinct for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's a defense mechanism. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Do you think that if you write a happy song about something that's good in your life, there's this, you know, fear of, well, shoot, maybe if this doesn't work out and this becomes a popular song, I had to keep playing this damn thing. <laughs> oh, there's so many uh, dark songs about shitty things that I'd rather not remember that I have to play. Uh, that, you know, it would just be another one in the heap. It's... <laughs> uh, you know, this. this is like... <laughs> really bizarre now that i'm i really am learning so much about myself right now but i was just thinking uh something that i fear about writing happy songs is that people won't like them or be able to relate to them because i guess i just assume that everyone's miserable (laughs) what does that say about me (laughs) do you guys have any prozac (laughs) um yes neat zucchini bread all right (laughs) jonah's mother has made and it's delicious um no, you're assuming that that everyone. I mean, people. I don't know. There's a reason people write sad songs because it does touch people more. And I think what you're saying is very telling. Is that a lot of people don't know how to be happy? Mm. For instance, I've been very vocal about how I go to therapy. Uh, I love going to therapy when I can. And my therapist said something to me a long time ago that stuck with me, and I'm really bad at it. Is that you don't just come here when shit's going down. You come here to check in when things are good. Mm-hmm. and keep that straight it's about keeping your head straight you know um it's the i use the analogy of you know if i go to the gym without a trainer chances are i'm gonna hurt something <laughs> if i'm just trying to deal with something in my head myself you know without talking to someone about it uh and understanding why it's good or why it's bad i'm gonna miss it word oh god i feel like what i've learned is, <laughs> uh start the compliment circle is the compliment circle is great, but I feel like it's all about perspective. Like, I feel like you could be sitting here and be like, this sucks. I don't want to be here. You could be like, this is awesome. I can't believe I'm here. And like, you can shape your reality in that way. Here specifically? Because not, that's not, not specifically. I feel awesome about being here. I feel awesome here. as well. Okay, I'm cool. very glad you're here. But just in general, I feel like it's all like just. Jenny's you, Owen Youngston. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. The third. <laughs> <laughs> what. N- uh, do you just put out a record this past? In February. February. Uh, so there's been some touring and some hustling. And now... Can I... What's oh, the name yeah. of it? I feel like oh, we should... Oh, my gosh. It's called An Unwavering Band of Light. Okay. Uh, which... It's way too positive for me right now. I know, I'm right? kidding. I would... Hu- well... <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it is kind of positive sounding, and also it's really long and a little awkward to say. But while that's okay, that's a band name for someone on the Warp Tour by now. Oh yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> but uh, what does it mean? Well, it came from this book that I was reading, rereading for like the fifth time, um, called uh, "Oh God, Get It Together, Young's Breakfast of Champions" by good old <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. Um, at the end of the book. Uh, all these people have converged uh, at this hotel bar in this little town that is opened up. They're le- they're having grand opening for this art museum in their town, and uh, they've brought in artists that that uh, whose work is being featured. And one of the artists is in the bar, and uh, everybody's gotten a look at his painting, which I think sold for like a million dollars or something to this tiny town's new art museum. And it's uh, oh god, it's the the name of the painting is like a saint or a pope i can't remember which one but it's just uh, a canvas that's like i believe neon green and then with like a strip of day glow orange tape on like one side of it and everybody is like flipping out because uh i mean i won't go off on modern art because there's not enough time in the world but uh, you can understand why these people are like, oh, my God, our taxes, you know, this this canvas, whatever. And they, like, confront this artist in the hotel bar. Everybody's so mad. And, you know, he just starts talking about how he, like, sees every person and every entity in the world around him as, like, an individual band of light. And, like, it's so beautiful. Um, anyway, that's... Why don't you like modern art? Well, I like a lot of modern art, but some of it, it's just like, guys, come on, (laughs) come on. But then sometimes I get tricked, like Mark Rothko. I don't want to like 
make anybody unhappy, but like Mark Rothko's work. I think he was unhappy enough for everyone. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's not funny. No. Um, but like <laughs> his work, do- like historically, doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't touch me in any way. But once I was walking through, I don't know, the Whitney, I think, when they had like a big exhibition of his and there was a guide giving a tour using beautiful words to talk about like why these canvases achieve x y and z and by the end of that person's tour i was just like oh yeah no i totally get it and then gradually that faded away and then i was like no these still don't do anything for me but like a case can be made i guess for a lot of things and the whole point of art is not to please everybody but to connect in a certain way with various people so like i'm not trying to say that mark rothko is bad at all just that i find him boring Okay. Me. I don't even know who he is. So. You know it. His stuff is like a giant carpet. Yeah, it's like, like a big. It's like it's like rectangle it's red, and, this and then is, like a square in the middle. A red okay. square kind in the thing. middle of this square, and here's two dots, and I killed myself. Hey, yeah, that's Mark Rothko. Boom! I just wrote his biography. Um, <laughs> uh, when you write pop songs, do you feel that it's important to stick to a specific structure? Like, um, you have a form that you enjoy. Do you have a time that you like? Like three and. Three minutes, 33. Like, <laughs> Well, everybody likes three and a half minutes, but um, I don't feel... Buddy Holly didn't. His songs were a minute. Well, everything at that time was so short, yeah. but now in the bloated 2012s, three and a half minutes is, I guess, the, quote, ideal uh, length of a pop song. But, you know, I've, um, I've gone in both directions from that uh, median point. Um, you know, I've gone like the six and seven minute direction and the like, you know, minute and 40 or whatever. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the sky or the ground or whatever is kind of the limit. And lately I've been like really interested in what I can do in a really short amount of time or like how I can make a really long amount of time remain engaging. And then there's like, man... This guy, this writer, uh, Dan Wilson, he was in Semisonic, and now he, like, writes songs with every pop star. Like, he co-wrote Someone Like You, that Adele song that was unmissable, and he's been writing with, like, Pink and Taylor Swift and, like, everybody you could imagine. He was, like, just tweeting the other day about, like, like, great songs that don't have choruses. Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't have a chorus, and it is this incredible like sprawling beast of an awesome song so that they couldn't perform live oh yeah and i never thought about that they never did they would they really? would they would cut to black you can see there's recordings of it they turn the lights off and they play the vocal part because it's too many harmonies you know? yeah they couldn't physically do it oh my god That's how could you, like who could do that yeah it would take a lot more people but uh so like that is a is a new goal for me to write like a really badass song with no chorus which I guess sort of like is more like classical than anything else when you think about it. Like, what, there's that. What's that Elvis Costello tune? Um, new boys, big boys, boys. <laughs> Something with boys. <laughs> Something with boys. But it's all on an E. And he said, "I'm going to write a song on one chord." Nice. And he did because he's Elvis Costello. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, like setting those limitations is. It yields like the most exciting results, and then sometimes like someone who can paint a you know an amazingly intricate portrait says, you know, it's great. I'm just going to paint one. That's line. what I think of that Bob Dylan song, "Masters of War," where it's like twelve minutes long, but it's like two chords, yeah. all the verses. It's great. That Dylan, what was he thinking? I know, right? Zimmerman. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a whole cache of songs ready for uh, the next collection? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I have a handful of songs that didn't end up on this previous record. Uh, So I need to figure out exactly what format those are going to come into the world in. But right now I'm working on a a serial song project uh, called Exhibit, um, which involves me going to a museum of my choosing in New York City on a Tuesday. And then by the following Tuesday, I will have composed and recorded a song. And then it goes up. So this is... The second song just went up today, and when I leave here, I'll go to my third museum. Where do the songs go? 
Uh, they go on Bandcamp right now, and then when they are all, like, when I finish, it's going to be like an eight-week project altogether. Um, they'll be on iTunes. Uh, and then if they don't suck, I don't know, maybe I'll press them in some kind of physical form. But <sighs> physical music just seems superfluous, sort of, now. I brought you guys a CD, and I was thinking about how dumb it was that I brought you a CD, because nobody wants a CD anymore. Uh, is you that know? is that? Do you think that's a music thing, or do you think that's just a living in New York or Brooklyn thing too? Because mm. I feel like I wasn't that bad about it. Now, like if whenever anyone gives me like a book or something, I'm like, oh my god, like, what, what am I, I going to do with this? this? Yeah. It's- well, I think it's I think it's a a city living thing because of the amount of real estate that you can get for X number of dollars here. But I also think it's just like the way that things are progressing, which kind of grosses me out and makes me sad. But who am I to say well, what's right? It's to having something, you know, people always say, you know, I want something tangible. You know, I want to hold this song, which is a dumb thing to say because you're going to listen to the song. You're going to be out and about in your car and you're not going to hold anything. I can't say the last time I sat and did nothing but listen to a record and pour over the lyrics. But how does that make you feel when you think about, like, that you used to do that and you don't do that anymore? I did that because I was very young and my years hadn't been on the planet that long. And I was learning different things that I had known. And now I want to hear a kick-ass song that I can hear over and over again, you know, while I'm driving, while I'm on the subway. And if I want someone to be able to attach the lyrics to the file so that when it goes on my phone, I can Mm. look up the lyrics immediately and go, oh, that's what they meant. That would be nice. You're making a strong case, I feel like. Another, I have like 3,000 CDs in my parents' basement, right? And for yes. so long, I was like, no, we can't get rid of them. We can't. Like, I was like, I'm going to get a new apartment. I have all these shelves in my parents' basement. And like, last time I went home, I was like, I don't care. Like, for some reason, like, I still have a sentimental attachment, but like, I'm like, what am I? I'm never going to like have a CD display room. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do. I feel so conflicted about it. And the more time it goes by, the more I'm like, it, I have my, you know, whatever. See, your CD is a is a song delivery device for me because I'm like, oh, cool. I can now take this home, put this on my computer, on my phone, and then have the song. No, there. I agree. It's a great idea. My, like, my computer doesn't have a CD drive anymore. And then I feel like that's the way it's going. Yep. Like, yeah. soon, like, th- there's no way. Soon you're going to be able to get us the song like this. Here's that new song. Thank you. That's wonderful. <laughs> you're welcome. I will have heard it in my head. Speaking of that, we should close things. Um, I saw Rick Kurzweil. Are you familiar with him at all? Mm-hmm. Man, the future is going to be so awesome, I think, if we don't blow <laughs> ourselves up. <laughs> well. And then I keep listening to all this ap- apocalyptic stuff, and I just heard uh, all this stuff between India and Pakistan. Shane the Smith. news, the apocalyptic yes. stuff. I, get, I only get my news from the Joe Rogan experience, and he had Shane Smith from Vice on, and they were talking about... <laughs> <laughs> these nukes pointed everywhere, and I was like, oh my god, what am I going to do? They've always been pointed everywhere. <laughs> I know, but I mean, I feel like... Since the Cold War, since Bay of Pigs, there have been nukes pointed all over the place. Then we found out in Russia that they were just blank silos. There was nothing there. That's mm. the thing that just freaks me out, is that stuff, because I feel like it could just undo everything so fast. It's more chicanery. Worry about... Um, <laughs> what the, should I worry about? Here's something. This will take us right back to uh, Jenny Owen Young's perspective. <laughs> When I drive on the New Jersey Turnpike and I go past Newark International Airport, or I can take a plane anywhere, international, I think how it'd be so easy for someone to pull up in a van with, you know, a, an armed rocket and take down a plane. You can oh, buy yeah. guns, you hear about this stuff. It can wow. happen anywhere. But it doesn't. Because for the most part, people are cool. <laughs> people have better things to do. And why would you do that? It's fucked up. So it's a very small group of fucked up people doing fucked up things and a large group of people with cameras and access to the internet talking about it and making it seem like it's Mm -hmm. ridiculous. So go to and multiply and then write a song about it. I feel way better. (laughs) My fear of the apocalypse is gone. I feel like this has been a journey of self-discovery for you. I... Can't stress this enough. I learned so much, and I'm going to have a lot to think about. Cool, I can't wait to see day. you play. And I don't get out at all. I have children. Come away with me to wherever that will be. 
So that was Jenny, delightful person. I'd never met her before. Did you? You guys only met on email, right? You met. We have been chatting, but yeah, that was the first time we ever met in person. She's awesome, and yeah. she and and I'm thrilled that she is now going to be one of these stories that we can put on our Chuck Reagan tribute podcast. Whenever he shows up, we're just going to have so many stories. To be like, explain this, and we're going to be able to play the audio. That's what, exactly what we should do. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> also, um, I, I don't want to pimp my own stuff here, but. Chuck put out this book, uh, oh, yeah. The Road Most Traveled, um, which is awesome. A collection of stories from the road. I have an essay in it. So go get that. Me, Brian Fallon, um, Jenny, I think is going to be in the next installment, hopefully. Cause so great. Hopefully there'll be many more. Uh, Jenny's record is amazing and an unwavering band of light. She's a wonderful storyteller. Uh, that was the sound of me disconnecting the microphone again that I do constantly. <laughs> a very amazing cover He's trying and to recovery. Do like, you're trying to do like a filter effect with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, and by see, I mean you hear us. If you like us, go onto our Facebook page. If you really like us, go to our website and listen there. And oh, crap, you can donate money and support us. That would be awesome. Um, um, I tried to do an effect there without moving the mic. It didn't work. Can you put a little echo on that? I'll try. I'll add something. Let in post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> right. right on. See you in a week. 